election to serve in the Senate. My family, friends, and I are mildly bewildered by the attention and constantly aware of the gulf between the hard sheen of media reports and the messy, mundane realities of life as it is truly lived. Just as that spate of publicity prompted my publisher's interest a decade ago, so has this fresh round of news clippings encouraged the book's republication. For the first time in many years, I've pulled out a copy and read a few chapters to see how much my voice may have changed over time. I confess to wincing ever so often at a poorly chosen word, a mangled sentence, an expression of emotion that seems indulgent or overly practiced, but I cannot honestly say that the voice in this book is not mine, that I would tell the story much differently today than I did ten years ago, even if certain passages have proven to be inconvenient politically, the grist for political commentary and opposition research. What has changed, of course, dramatically, decisively, is the context in which the book might now be read. I began writing against a backdrop of Silicon Valley and a booming stock market, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, Mandela, in slow, sturdy steps, emerging from prison to lead a country, the signing of peace accords in Oslo. Domestically, our cultural debates around guns and abortion and rap lyrics seemed so fierce precisely because Bill Clinton's third way, a scaled-back welfare state without grand ambition but without sharp edges, seemed to describe a broad underlying consensus on bread-and-butter issues, a consensus to which even George W. Bush's first campaign, with its compassionate conservatism, would have to give a nod. Internationally, writers announced the end of history, the ascendance of free markets and liberal democracy, the replacement of old hatreds and wars between nations with virtual communities and battles for market share. And then, on September 11, 2001, the world fractured. It's beyond my skill as a writer to capture that day and the days that would follow. The planes, like specters, vanishing into steel and glass, the slow-motion cascade of towers crumbling into themselves, the ash-covered figures wandering the streets, the anguish and the fear. Nor do I pretend to understand the stark nihilism that drove the terrorists that day and that drives their brethren still. My powers of empathy, my ability to reach into another's heart, cannot penetrate the blank stares of those who would murder innocents with abstract, serene satisfaction. What I do know is that history returned that day with a vengeance, that in fact, as Faulkner reminds us, the past is never dead and buried. It isn't even past. This collective history, this past, directly touches my own. Not merely because the bombs of Al-Qaeda have marked, with an eerie precision, some of the landscapes of my life, the buildings and roads and faces of Nairobi, Bali, Manhattan. Not merely because, as a consequence of 9-11, my name is an irresistible target of mocking websites from overzealous Republican operatives, but also because the underlying struggle between worlds of plenty and worlds of want, between the modern and the ancient, between those who embrace our teeming, colliding, irksome diversity, while still insisting on a set of values that binds us together, and those who would seek, under whatever flag or slogan or sacred text, a certainty and simplification that justifies cruelty toward those not like us, is the struggle set forth on a miniature scale in this book. I know, I have seen, the desperation and disorder of the powerless, how it twists the lives of children on the streets of Jakarta or Nairobi 
in much the same way as it does the lives of children on Chicago's South Side. How narrow the path is for them between humiliation and untrammeled fury. How easily they slip into violence and despair. I know that the response of the powerful to this disorder, alternating as it does between a dull complacency and when the disorder spills out of its prescribed confines, a steady, unthinking application of force, of longer prison sentences, and more sophisticated military hardware, is inadequate to the task. I know that the hardening of lines, the embrace of fundamentalism and tribe, dooms us all. And so what was more an interior, intimate effort on my part, to understand this struggle and to find my place in it, has converged with a broader public debate, a debate in which I am professionally engaged, one that will shape our lives and the lives of our children for many years to come. The policy implications of all this are a topic for another